you have your Bible with you, uh, I would invite you to turn with me. Of course, the text is going to be on the screen in any case. Uh, but join with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We just prayed for the persecuted church. What we are seeing in our day is not new. This letter of 2 Timothy is the last letter that we have that came from the pen of the apostle, Paul. He is in a Roman dungeon. He, in fact, in the last chapter of this letter, will describe his audience with Nero himself. He has experienced persecution. In fact, I would dare say if anybody could give you a guided tour, write out the tour book of the inside of every jail in the Roman world, Paul the Apostle is probably the guy who could do it. He was imprisoned time after time after time after time. And Jesus released him time after time after time after time. The Philippian jail, oh, God sends an earthquake. Have you ever heard of an earthquake throwing open all the doors of a building? All the doors in that prison flew open and the chains fell off. When Jesus said, you're free, you're free. This is the same man who is writing this letter. And we began this series, I, I, last week I read verses 1 through 12 of chapter 1, and we got through the first two verses. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 again, and in, my, in, my, in the bullet, and if you have a bullet, it says, A Holy Calling Part 2. I've actually changed the title to Not Afraid, Not Ashamed. Not Afraid, Not Ashamed. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. His prisoner. His prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose 
and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Not afraid. Not ashamed. Paul! You're in a dungeon. You are chained to the wall. You are in the worst possible place the Roman world can contrive to put you in, aside from taking your head off. By the way, he's a Roman citizen, so when they do execute him, they can't crucify him because that was not allowed for Roman citizens. They're just going to take his head off. Oh, well, then that's okay. (laughs) I'm not afraid. You're in a, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm in a dungeon. Do you know who's Lord in this, in this Roman dungeon? The same one who was Lord in the Philippian jail. The chains are only still on my wrists and on my ankles. That door is barred only because Jesus leaves it that way to fulfill his own purposes. This was a wealthy man. Paul had been sent from his family home in what is today modern-day Turkey. He had been sent from his family home as a very young man. He'd been sent to Jerusalem, and he had been the stellar student. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a rising star amongst the Jewish leadership. He was already, as a young man, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was, as he says of himself, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was holding the coats, Acts chapter 7, he was holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And then he was the tip of the spear in the persecution of the church. And he was very wealthy, but you had to be wealthy to be a Pharisee because it required a lot of time. And you couldn't be spending that time earning a living. You had to be spending that time doing the Pharisee tasks. See, he's from a wealthy, comfortable background. He's got all this status. He's got letters to the Jewish leadership in Damascus. He's going to spread the persecution of the Jewish Christians to Damascus. And then Jesus plants his Paul's face, Saul of, the face of Saul of Tarsus, in the dirt. He's knocked to the ground outside the gates of Damascus, and Jesus just takes over. Oh, Jesus, you know, why don't you do, why don't you fix this problem? Oh, we know that it's barely within your control. We know, yeah, Lord Jesus, please, 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 please help us, please help us. What does Jesus do in heaven? Would you stop it? Haven't I given you precious and magnificent promises? You act as if those are just words. They're not just words. 
there are promises from the true and living God whose hand cannot be restrained. Stop reciting my promises to me as if I didn't mean them. Because I mean every syllable, every jot and tittle, every letter and part of a letter will be fulfilled. I am unrestrained God. And I am loyal to you. I am good. I have loved you. And I am kind. And nothing can touch you without my permission. Well, I'm being touched a lot. Yes, but guess what? I'm going to make up for it in kingdom power. And so the Apostle Paul says, this is so unfair. Very often you read, timid Timothy, timid Timothy. Why is he called timid Timothy? Because Paul's encouraging him to not be afraid. Well, guess what? We all need that. <laughs> He's no more timid than anybody else that I know of. There's nothing in the narrative in Acts or in these letters that suggests he's any more timid than anybody else. But he needs the same kind of encouragement you and I do. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And as Jim Rittman pointed out a few months ago, too, you know how many times do not be afraid or its equivalent occurs in the scripture? It's a very significant number, 365. Wow. Once for every day. Because we need to hear it every day. Do not be afraid. Nothing. We look at that event where David stands before Goliath. He's got an, the entire Israeli army behind him. And Goliath had come out day after day after day after day after day challenging them to just send one champion, one guy to come out. Every single one of those men could do what David did. But they were afraid of Goliath. Why wasn't David afraid? It wasn't because of David's own skills that he wasn't afraid. David wasn't afraid because he knew what his God was like. And as he said to Goliath, I come to you in the name according to the reputation of the living God, the God who shows up. Well, the God, who sh the God of this book is the God who always shows up. Do not be afraid, Timothy. Lucifer's principal way of sucking the energy out of our walk with Christ is what? Intimidation. Intimidation. Fear. Fearing the wrong thing. I thank God, he says in verse 3, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, Timothy loved Paul, and he did not want to be separated from him, but being a disciple of Jesus, principally not a disciple of Paul, he's doing what Jesus assigned him to do as well. Paul does what Jesus assigns him to do. That I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. What a, you know what I'm going to say? That's a gigantic compliment. Timothy, I have seen authentic faith alive and at work in you. They had a lengthy track record of ministry together. 
I can think of no more powerful compliment from one disciple to another is, you're the genuine article, friend. You're the real thing. And that's what Paul is saying of Timothy. But, oh, that genuineness, that authentic reality didn't start with you. It started with your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, these Jewish women. His father is a Greek. So far as we know, his father was a pagan Greek. We know nothing else. But the faith, the Jewish faith, that, it, that, that was authentic. Now, you can read the Hebrew Scriptures all day long. What's a Messianic Jew? There are Jews and there are Messianic Jews. A Messianic Jew is somebody who believes what the, oh, the Hebrew Scriptures really say. And so when they read Isaiah 53 or they read the passage that we read earlier from Isaiah, I give given them my back to them. They plucked out the beard. I have suffered. The Messianic Jew reads that and says, I know that's Jesus of Nazareth. The Jews who are just pretend Jews are the ones who put on their blinders when they go through the, that passage. Did you know this? That every year in the, in the Orthodox Jewish synagogue, they read through the entire prophet Isaiah out loud. It's recited. They skip one chapter. They skip Isaiah chapter 53 because it is so obviously, undeniably Jesus of Nazareth. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Read the chapter on your own. It's undeniably Jesus. Why? Because they're not real Jews. That's why. They pretend to be. They dress in a special way, many of them. They keep all these traditions but they don't do the most basic, basic, basic thing of believing what God said. It really encourages me, Timothy, when I remember the genuine faith that is in you that you received from your grandmother and your mother, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's, and I've seen the reality that is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up this gift. Which you, you received a gift. You received an increased ability to serve Jesus Christ through his great power through the laying on of my hands. Stir that up. You need to keep encouraging this. How do you do that? You know, folks, it's not a secret. Open the book and read it and ask God to give you understanding. You know what this book is about? God. It's about God, what he is like, and what his ways are. That's it. You can't walk with him if you don't know what he's like and what his ways are. But as you read this and you ask, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, break thou the bread of life, ask God himself. Who's the author of this book? God. He pushed his message through the pens of the prophets and apostles. This is the only book that exists 
where all these people in the world can sit down, open the book, and expect the author to be at their shoulder explaining. He will do that. And your faith will become more and more powerful. You'll be able to walk in step with him. And you and all those thing, messages from the world designed to intimidate you, get out. Satan, go peddle your papers somewhere else. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Am I afraid of Nero? No. Am I afraid of what the Romans can do to me? No. Can they harm me if Jesus permits them to in the immediate short-term sense? In fact, what's going to happen to Paul? He's going to get his head chopped off. Do you know what happened to the Apostle Paul? when they chopped off his head and his head fell in the basket? He was immediately embraced by his Lord Jesus Christ. He was welcomed into heaven with a glad party. They had a rich banquet for him. He was handed all sorts of accolades and rewards. He stepped into his heavenly reward. Now, see... This is going to become more obvious in the day to come because when Jesus comes back, the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Lois and Eunice and every other authentic follower of Jesus Christ is going to come with Jesus, and then we're going to step into the fullness of the reality of kingdom reward. At that point, let me ask you this question. Would you rather be Paul or Nero? I'll take Paul. Nero will find himself in a lake of fire. In fact, even in the immediate sense, what happened to Nero, he got, a, he got assassinated by the Praetorian Guard because he was scaring everybody. He even had his own mother killed right in the throne room in front of his throne. Why? Because she heard what the Apostle Paul said, and she became a Christian. And so he had his mother killed. And that's when the Praetorian Guard and all these other Roman politicos said, anybody who would kill his mother? Let's get rid of this guy. I'll take Paul's. I'll come. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Who holds all the power? All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. That leaves nothing for anybody else. Everything else, the power that other people exercise is basically just an illusion. It's something Jesus has allowed them to have for a temporary time for his own purpose, for his own Jesus purposes. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. I can actually, when he goes to as he describes in the fourth chapter of this letter, he's going to go before Nero, proclaim the You know what? Paul loved Nero. He loved Nero so much, he's there serving him. He's telling Nero a message that is going to get Paul's head chopped off. 
but he loves Nero enough to do that. Jesus, for God so loved the world that hated him that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we are governed by no the fear of man is gone. Love. I can serve you. I can wash your feet, Nero. And have a sound mind. I'm not knocked off emotionally or mentally. I just don't accept the intimidation. I have God's permission not to accept the intimidation. Verse 8, therefore, I do not be ashamed. You know, here's the Paul. He's going to get his head chopped off. The apostle Peter, he's going to get crucified upside down. Eleven of the twelve apostles were all martyred. What do you mean, don't be ashamed? It's not the end of the story. And I've shared this. I just, this was such a, I'm sure there's nobody else in this room like me who's been a addicted to a, an athletic team. There was, thank you, God, that we, my wife and I and our kids moved from the Dallas area in 1980 because I needed to get away from the Cowboys. I need, if they lost a game, I was depressed for three days. But I was watching that Cowboys, it was about 1978 when the Cowboys were in that playoff game with the Vikings, and I've shared this before, and there's like 20 seconds left in the game. The Cowboys are on their 20-yard line, and Roger Staubach rears back and throws the ball the length of the field into the hands of Drew Pearson, who crosses the into the end zone to win the game. The Vikings fans were already celebrating the victory when the victory was yanked away from them and handed to the Cowboys. Now, as I'm watching that play on television, I am screaming, No, 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 yes, yes. The more you know God's ways, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. The more you know God's ways, the sooner you can start yelling yes because you start recognizing his hand earlier. Don't, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Wait a minute, Jesus was crucified. What are they saying in the first century Roman world? You mean you follow a God who re-crucified? Yeah, but there is also the empty tomb. There is also the promise from those angels standing on the Mount of Olives as the apostles watch Jesus ascend into heaven, those two men standing there in white apparel. Why do you stand staring up into heaven? He's going to come again as you've seen him go. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of the testimony of Lord, of the Lord, nor of don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, the one who's in this Roman dungeon. And again, the people would say, You mean you are a disciple of that guy, Paul, who's about to get his head chopped off? Yeah. Because he is about to get his head chopped off, and then he's going to come back with Jesus. He's going to experience kingdom glory, just like me. But 
but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. We don't just suffer for the gospel. We do it according to the power of God. Paul is being emboldened and strengthened to walk through the intimidation and the suffering, the persecution, the martyrdom. What happens to the world when a Christian keeps telling the truth about Jesus even unto death? That's a powerful thing. This God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not because we were totally qualified. No, he qualifies us. We don't walk into his presence with a qualification. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, provision, which was given us, provided to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God isn't doing this in a slipshod way. He's not doing this just kind of as we move along, we'll figure it out. No, it not only was figured out ahead of time, it was set in place ahead of time. Your worst, the worst enemy of Jesus can only serve his purposes. Satan is a servant of God. He hates that, but he can't not be. And so every human and other demonic intimidator is nothing but a servant of God, and they hate it. But it's the way it is from eternity past. Get over it. According to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began, but as now... Right now, as I'm writing this letter, been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He yanked out at the cross. Jesus yanked whatever power Lucifer had. He yanked it out of his hands. And Satan is left empty-handed with nothing but words. Stop listening to him and start listening to God. It's as simple as that. And you can walk in triumph. To which this gospel message, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. This is weird. You know, our God is so, <coughs> he does things in what we would say is a backwards way in many cases, just to make sure we get the message that he's God. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a stellar Jew, 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 Jew. And what does God do? God says, okay, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. If you tell them you're, gonna, you're a Pharisee, they're going to say, what's that? Oh, you're a Jew? Get away from me. You don't like Jews. He sends Paul, I mean, if, if I was making the choice, there's a difference between me and God, right? If I was making the choice, I mean, I would have made Paul the apostle of the Jews. I mean, good grief, he's got every credential that they respect. 
And Jesus says, no, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles who don't even know what a Pharisee is, really don't like Jews. I'm going to send you to the people that you don't have a single thing you can bring this from yourself. It's all got to be me. And I'm going to make as the apostle to the Jews, I'm going to pick that guy, Peter, who is the fisherman that the, G the Jewish leadership says, this uneducated guy, what are you paying attention to him for? So that both you and Peter and all the other apostles and disciples will trust me and my power and my wisdom and not their own. I am Lord, and I don't need your credentials to make an open door for me. I kick doors open. He made me a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. We've been studying Jonah in Sunday school. Paul's an the apostle to the Gentiles. You look at all of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet to the Gentiles was Jonah. And he hated it. He wanted to die rather than fulfill that ministry. He did everything he could to not, because he wanted God to send those Ninevites to hell. He hated them. The prophet to the Gentiles, the apostle of the Gentiles. Now, Paul, thank you, God, was more cooperative than Jonah. He has made me a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. My suffering is the will of God. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Yes, I know I'm in a Roman dungeon. Yes, I know I'm chained hand and foot. Yes, I know I'm probably human. I'm almost certainly going to get my head chopped off, which he did. But I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know the last play of the game. I know where victory is ultimately going to be found. No, 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 no. Yes, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the scripture says the heavens are going to be ripped open. And Jesus is going to ride out on a white horse. And then the saints of every age, I hope that you got your riding lessons. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, go get some riding lessons because you are going to be mounted on a white horse and you are going to be behind Jesus filling the heavens. And Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by the armies of the Antichrist. Armies, because he's gotten 10 kings from all over the planet to show up with insanely, show up to annihilate the Jews. And then the heavens are ripped open. And the only thing that's going to need to happen is Jesus will speak. That's why he's depicted as having a sword coming out of his mouth, because all he needs to do is speak a word. And what does it say in Zechariah 14? Their eyeballs will melt in their sockets, their tongues will melt in their mouths, their skin will melt on their flesh. And for 184 miles, 92 miles in every direction around the city of Jerusalem, suddenly the blood will start flying right up to the level of the horse's bridles. Can we call that victory? 
And so we go from no, 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 no to yes. Yes, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I will be riding right behind Jesus, the victor, and he will walk us, he will ride us, I should say, into the everlasting land. Am I ashamed? No. Because I know what the final play of the game is going to look like. I know how the story ends. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know what my God is like. I know he is more than adequate to every challenge that would come my way. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep, preserve what I have committed to him again until that day. Why? I've invested my life in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an investment. And that investment is going to pay off in his kingdom at a very high rate of interest. This is called leverage. We are going to step into kingdom glory. You go to a financial counselor when you're talking about investment, whatever they, they talk about leverage and the interest rates and all that. Oh, man, you have <laughs> those guys don't know a thing compared to the glory that will come our way because of service to Jesus. If you give a cup of water to one of these little ones, just give a, Daddy, Mama, can I have a drink of water? Sure, here. I won't forget that, and I'll reward you. Something we don't even think of as significant, he'll remember everything that we've forgotten, and he will leverage it into kingdom glory. We come to the Lord's table. That's what made all this possible. Why? Because what's represented by that unleavened bread, that matzah? Jesus is sinless. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus could say to his worst enemies that had been watching him for three and a half years from behind every rock and bush, and he could say to them, which of you accuses me of sin? They couldn't name one thing. Not one. When he went to the cross, he went as the absolutely sinless son of God. Fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. His value in the eyes of heaven was greater than the value of the entire human race. Therefore, he can carry the burden of the entire human race. He could go as the representative of the entire human race. He is the spotless lamb of God upon whom God would lay the guilt of the entire human race. Every sin we ever committed and judge him for our sins and then he's paid, he has paid sin's penalty for us. It is finished. It is paid in full. Thus allowing, freeing his Holy Father to forgive us because the penalty's been paid. The debt's been paid. But this matzah cracker, this unleavened bread, is a statement that he is, was the sinless son of God 
this is my body broken for you. And then we, when we take the cup, we are saying, as he says, and as quoted by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm initiating here the new covenant, not like the covenants, Jeremiah 31, not like the covenant made on Sinai, which you broke. In this covenant, read Jeremiah 31, I will, I will, I will, your sins and iniquities remember no more. I'll take that. That's a contract I, I think I would like to live with. Jim? Jim?